Welcome to this episode of Focus Points. Focus Points is a series intended to help us as a church better understand our Bible as we read through the Bible together this year. We're going to look at one book of the Bible each episode and try to answer one basic question. What do I need to know in order to get more out of reading this book? So, let's get started. Alright, today we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms. And to be completely honest, this is one of those that scares me a little bit. Not because I don't love the Psalms, not because I don't think that there's great value in them and I'm not excited about studying the Psalms, but because there's so much rich theology in Psalms. There's so many things that we could talk about. And Psalms has such a special place in the life of our church and I think in the life of many of you that it's going to be hard to limit ourselves just to our 10 to 15 minutes of just talking about what is going on in the book. So with all that being said, though, what do we need to know about Psalms that will help us to profit more as we read through the book? Well, we often think of Psalms as the book of praise or the book of worship for the Israelites, and it was, but I think we do it a disservice and we limit it too much when we just talk about it as far as a praise book. We need to remember that Psalms, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, real people are talking about real problems and come to real solutions about their God because of who God is. And so, yes, this is a praise book, but this is also a very practical book for us today. Let's start talking about just the character of the book of Psalms. We know it's poetry, but uh, there's a few other things that I would like to pull out today that might help us as we read through it. One, we need to remember that Psalms is connected to history, all right? Uh, Israel's history is talked a lot, about, a lot about in the book. You think of Psalm 44, 78, 89, 136. Israel's history is very important to those who are writing the Psalms. It's connected to history. It's not just talking about an individual's life or just talking about doctrine and things. And along with it being connected to history, we have these psalm titles. That, are often, that often give the background for a psalm, such as David wrote this when he was running from so-and-so and was in the cave of such-and-such. Such. Now, what do we do with those? Well, without getting into a longer discussion, um, those psalm titles aren't inspired, but they are highly reliable. If you're interested in knowing more about that, well, maybe you just talk to me and maybe we can uh, record a, um, a side note on that. Uh, that you can listen to or I can give you something to read. But those titles are highly reliable. And so it's important for us to see where is David when he's writing these words and what does that mean to the meaning of the words and how they might be able to minister to my life. Psalms is connected to history. Let's pay attention to that history. Second, Psalms is connected to the rest of Scripture. All right, Through its history, it talks about what happens to Israel, so it's obviously it's connected that way. But it's also connected to the Old Testament law. You think of Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, all talking about this written word of God, which would have been the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy, or specifically just the law codes that were in there. But Psalms is connected to those things and how it talks about the Old Testament law. It's connected through its prophecies of the Messiah, Psalm 2, 16, 8, 22, 45, and others talk about this promised Messiah that we know about a little bit before the book of Psalms, but then we hear a whole lot about in the prophets to follow Psalms. And it's connected to the New Testament. 
Now, different people uh, have different numbers about how many times Psalms is quoted in the New Testament, but one trustworthy source I saw estimated 90 times. 90 times the New Testament writers, under inspiration, looked back at the Psalms and quoted it. It's connected to the rest of Scripture, and I think keeping that in our minds is going to help us connect dots to other portions of Scriptures. Third, we have to remember, as far as the character of the book, Psalms is relatable and practical. This isn't pie-in-the-sky theology. These aren't perfect-looking people doing perfect things with their God. No, these are real people dealing with real problems, asking real questions, and God makes himself real to them. And that is the answer to all their problems and all their questions, is recognizing who God is. So keep in mind those characteristics of the book. So then we come to the question, all right, with this massive and theologically rich book, what is going to help us as we read it the most? Well, two big things. One, I think we need to remind ourselves that, as I mentioned above, Psalms is connected to history, connected to the rest of the Bible, and is re very rela relatable and very practical in everything that it says. Second, though, I think it would help us to think to read through the book in terms of categories. All right, what does this psalm say about one of these categories? And the categories are pretty simple. And you can do this to many other books of the Bible. Three categories, God, man, and salvation. So ask yourself first, how is God revealed in this psalm? What does he say? Is there some speech, some instruction, some wisdom? What does he do? Is he creating? Is he blessing? Is he showing his power? Who is he? Is he talked about as being holy, as being wrathful or angry, as being just? How does he act then? Is he compassionate? Is he loving? Is he faithful? Is he protecting? How does this psalm reveal God? Think of God as that first category. Second, man. What does this teach about man? Or what does it teach about man's sin? Does it talk about iniquity? Or pride? Does it talk about the wicked or the enemies of the righteous? Does, what does it say about the judgment for man's sin? Is it talking about punishment? Are they praying imprecatory prayers? Which, by the way, we have a side note that is going to be coming out about that side note series. So if you're interested in the imprecatory prayers, listen to that or pick up one of the handouts at church. But what does it say about sin and judgment and the nature of man? And then the third category, what does it say about salvation? How are people being delivered? Is it God's redemption? Is it their trust and their hope in God? Who's delivered? Well, it's the righteous. What's characteristic of the righteous? How are the righteous responding to God's salvation? Is there joy? Is there praise? Is there worship? And what is the result of the salvation? Is it life? Is it eternal life that's being talked about? What does this say about salvation? So as you read through, I think it's helpful to think in the, in the ideas of God, man, salvation. What truths are coming up that fall underneath one of these three categories? Finally today, I'd like to take those three categories and just apply them to Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And there's a reason why I chose these two psalms. Psalm 1 and 2, they formed the introduction to the book. They were intentionally placed here by the Holy Spirit. And they form what we would call an inclusio, or a bookend, where the Psalm 1 starts the same way that Psalm 2 does, which me, or starts the same way that Psalm 2 ends, 
which means we know that everything in between is related. Psalm 1.1 starts off with, Blessed is the man that walketh not. Psalm 2.12 ends with, Blessed are all they who put their trust in him. And so we have Psalm 1 and 2 with this basic theme of how, who is the fortunate person? Who is the person who is truly happy in his life? It's the person who loves God's word and the person who trusts God and his word. That is the person who is truly blessed. So Psalm 1 and 2, it represents the person who has the proper relationship to God and that's what Psalms is really all talking about. It's talking about how we relate to God. We as fallen creatures on this earth who don't understand everything, how do we relate to God based on the knowledge that God gives us of Him? So we go through Psalm 1 and 2 and we ask ourselves, what does this teach us about God, that first category? Well, it tells us that God has spoken. Verse 2 looks at, it tells us about in His law, this law of the Lord. That's God revealing himself. We see that God cares. He knows and he cares. Psalm 1.6, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. He pays attention to the righteous person. God's rule supreme. In uh, chapter 2, uh, sorry, in Psalm 2, it says that he sitteth on the throne. God decrees, chapter 2, Psalm 2, verse 7, I will declare the decree, thou art my son. God deals with the wicked according to their wickedness. Chapter two, Psalm 2, verse 8. This, these two psalms, immediately it tells us a whole lot about who our God is. But it also teaches us a lot about man. It teaches us about man's sin. There's all different types of sinners. Psalm 1, 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, standeth not in the way of sinners, sitteth not in the seat of the scornful. Right away we see that man has sinned and man has all these different expressions of this rebellion against God. We also see that the unrighteous, the ungodly, are unstable. All right? They're as chaff that are driven away. They're undesirable. They are not going to be allowed in the congregation of the righteous. And there's a specific end for us, for the ungodly. That is, they will perish at the end of Psalm 1. Psalm 2 ticks it, picks it up and talks about man's sin as being rebellion against God. Why do the heathen rage? All right? And then the kings of the earth, they lift themselves up in pride against the Lord, thinking that they are something important. But they are not. Their pride is wrong, and it is very destructive. So these two psalms, they teach us a lot about who man is, but they also talk about our salvation. The righteous man is the one who trusts in God. Do you not want to be the wicked man? Do you not want to come underneath the condemnation for your sin? You trust in God, and that is the means of God's deliverance. It is faith in what God has said. We know in the New Testament, it's faith in Jesus Christ. The righteous man delights in God's word. He trusts God. He loves his word. This is something that is precious to him. Psalm 1, 3. The righteous man accepts God's Messiah. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Pay appropriate homage to this Messiah that God is going to send, and that is going to make things well with you. From the very beginning, Psalm 1 and 2, it sets the stage for what the psalm says about God, man, and salvation, and it clearly 
gives us a picture of what the fortunate person, what the blessed person believes and how he acts based upon what he knows about God. So as you read the book of Psalms, uh, which is going to be split up in our Bible reading, I think you read the first 28 or so Psalms in January, and then you go off of Psalms for a while and you come back to it. But as you are coming back to the book of Psalms and you're reading it throughout the year, I'd encourage you to do three things. First of all, read realistically. Remember that this is talking about real issues that real people face. Read realistically. Second, read holistically. See the entire psalm. Don't just drop in real quick for a quick reading and then go back out. Read the entire psalm that you are scheduled to read that day. And also try to read holistically by connecting it to the rest of Scripture. This says that such and such is true. Where else in Scripture do I see that? Read holistically. Then finally, read joyfully. Because this is a joyful book. Even in some of the most downer psalms, the one that talked the most about the ungodly or all the persecution that, and affliction that come on the righteous, we can find amazing truths from God that can be applied to our everyday lives. So may God bless as you read the book of Psalms this year.